he'd woken up and announced that he'd listened to a podcast, again unnamed, about semen retention. And so he wanted to start practicing that. Hi, I'm Lily, aka Vulgar Drawings. I'm a feminist writer and cartoonist, and I've been publishing cartoons about the trials and tribulations of womanhood for the past five years. Things like everyday sexism, domestic violence, online misogyny, you name it, I've drawn it. Most of what I talk about is informed by the internet. I am extremely online, and I always have been, from MySpace to Facebook to TikTok. But now there's more and more coverage about the effect social media is having on politics and culture, which is great. But what I want to know is, how is internet culture affecting women in particular? So that's what I'm going to do in this podcast. You'll hear from academics, writers, witches, and even my mum. All people who are just trying to navigate the world as the internet sends it into chaos. So if you want to enjoy hilarious, terrifying and unhinged stories, stick around. But of course, no worries if not. Episode one, the alpha male. I was really smitten pretty soon. He met all my friends and all of my friends said to me, wow, you seem so happy. We've never seen you this happy. He seems like he's your perfect match. This is Ruby. She got in touch with me on Instagram to tell me her story. Ruby and her boyfriend had been together for around six months and everything was going great. But then things flipped on their head. For a good part of a year, I was just super in love and happy and thought I had the perfect relationship. And the person I started dating was a different person to the radicalised person that I broke up with. Ruby had seen a cartoon I did about misogynistic groups online and wanted to tell me about her own experience. Her boyfriend found himself bored in a job that he didn't enjoy and kind of at a dead end. He had a lot of time on his hands and started spending more and more evenings watching YouTube and listening to podcasts. But it was a particular kind of podcast that he was attracted to. Ruby started to notice that his opinions towards women were changing. You know, returning to more traditional understandings of gender and, like, this sort of dynamic was being reinforced where I guess what I can see now is I was encouraged to be increasingly passive and he was allowed to become increasingly direct and assertive, as he would say, but actually just controlling and somewhat aggressive. Ruby's boyfriend was coming out with things that just didn't sound like him. The wild thing was, by this point, as much as I was scared and devastated and heartbroken, it was also hilarious. The madness, the insanity of it. And then... Ruby's boyfriend announced that he had come to the realisation that he was an alpha male. I've had misogynistic abuse online for as long as I've published cartoons, 
And I've come across all sorts of tribal labels that men use to describe themselves. But there's something particularly worrying about the alpha male trend. To be honest, I had just imagined a muscly gym bro talking too loudly at a restaurant or explaining the benefits of protein powder to me in a club with sticky floors. But in reality, the term alpha goes all the way back to a book about wolves from the 1940s. And since then, it's evolved into a monster, a misogynistic identity claimed by a growing group of men online. The Swan Lake pack grew to 24 wolves. Here, the pack rallies, reinforcing their bonds with each other and letting other wolves know they will defend their territory. This is from an old American documentary called The War of the Wolf Packs. It was filmed in Yellowstone National Park, which has the greatest population of wolves in the world. And in 1947, Rudolf Schenkel, an animal behavioralist from Switzerland, published a study called Expressions on Wolves. Schenkel explained that an alpha wolf is the male who fights the other wolves to then become the dominant leader of the pack. Pretty simple stuff, right? Well, 30 years later, in the 1980s, Dr. Meech, a wolf biologist from Minnesota, published The Wolf, The Ecology and Behavior of an Endangered Species. He reinforces Schenkel's theory of the alpha wolf for a new generation. And it is a bestseller. But this book would become the bane of Meech's life because the alpha male theory is a myth. <gasps> That's right, boys. There's no such thing as an alpha. Not by a long shot. And by the 1990s, biologists, including Meech himself, had enough evidence to prove that animals in their natural habitat do not follow such strict hierarchical rules as previously believed. Rudolf Schenkel's original alpha male theory only came about from studying wolves in captivity. But when observed in their natural habitats, they behaved totally differently. Even now, Dr. Meech is still trying to correct his mistake. The truth is that wild wolf packs are just made up of mummy, daddy and baby. Meech fought for decades to get his book off the shelves, and this did happen in 2022. But why was a dry academic book so popular? Like many of society's problems, the answer lies with men on the internet. Dr. Meech was keen to erase the alpha male theory from public discourse, but the genie was well and truly out of the bottle. Over the years, more and more men have read this book and turned it into their own YouTube videos, podcasts, and self-help books. But these guys aren't talking about wolves anymore. They're talking about themselves. Things like how to be an alpha male in the bedroom, in the boardroom, on dates, and in your friendship groups. You can even find workshops and week-long boot camps on how to be an alpha. I found forums all across the internet with bizarre diagrams of the so-called male sexual hierarchy, with alphas at the top and beta males, which are apparently more passive and subservient, sitting at the bottom of this hierarchy. The wolf analogy is just another way of categorizing one another and what it means to be a man. But it's not just wolves that we're obsessed with, it's monkeys too. I'm Frans de Waal. I'm a Dutch-American primatologist who has been working with primates for uh, 50 years or more. 
I'm partly responsible for the popularity of the term alpha male, because even though the term existed before, I used it in my book Chimpanzee Politics in the 80s, and it was adopted by Republicans in Washington in the 90s, and they made the term popular. And so from that moment on, everyone was talking about alpha males. This is Franz. He is so cool. I also spoke to Dr. Meech over email. He's 86 now and still living in Minnesota. These men were so generous and kind, and they are just as baffled as I am at how they found themselves at the center of this misogynistic mess. Franz's book was fanboyed over by Republican politicians, and similar alpha male self-help spin-offs were published. I'm not particularly happy with the way people talk about it, because in primatology, alpha male just means the top male. And you also have an alpha female, the top female. It says nothing about personality. And what happens at the moment, I think, is some sort of cardboard version that they have of the primates. Like men are like this and women are like that. But if you look more carefully, uh, you notice that it's actually much more complex than they think. And evolution has produced a lot more variability than they think. These men who use the alpha male theory to describe themselves, they've always existed, but... Thanks to social media, they now have a platform to reach people further and wider than ever before. Men like Andrew Tate. From the dawn of human time, a man's role has always been the capability for violence. This is what men were, right? You have to look at, you have to, when I look at the world, I look at it from a societal perspective and I look at it from an animalistic perspective. Society has told us to be certain ways and then our animal instinct tells us to be another way. When I first saw this clip from the James English podcast, I was like, ick, 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 ick. For legal reasons, I have to say this as my opinion rather than as fact, but in my opinion, Andrew Tate is a dangerous man. He's facing criminal charges, and in my opinion, he saw an opportunity to make money at the expense of young men and ran with it. In 2021, Tate founded The Hustlers University, a business training program to help people get, quote, an abundance of wealth. It's since been rebranded to The Real World, and there are metaphors about The Matrix all over its website, especially the red pill. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. I'll explain the Red Pill thing as simply as I can. If you haven't seen The Matrix, it's a great film about how nothing is what it seems and we essentially live in a world of mind control. When the protagonist, Neo, starts to realise this, he's given the option to A, take the red pill and discover the truth, or B, take the blue pill and go back to his old life. But the key... It is just a film. Online misogynists use The Matrix as a metaphor to describe the world they live in, a world where men are actually the most disadvantaged and oppressed group, and women have it all. Taking the red pill is waking up and seeing this, the so-called real world. It's all very conspiracy theory coded, and if you hear a man saying he's red-pilled, I mean, run? Andrew Tate also has a podcast and YouTube channel. His whole brand is targeted at young men and how they too can become an alpha male, just like him. 
Tate has more than 7 million followers on Twitter alone. And this is despite being banned from various different social media platforms over the years for hate speech and breaking community guidelines. This is the kind of thing he's telling his followers. I don't know what kind of bitch-ass dude is letting his chicks go to the club with her friends without him. No. You stay in the house. You don't go nowhere. No restaurants, no clubs, nothing. So that's Andrew Tate. He might be one of the most recognisable names in this world, but he's hardly the only one. There are loads of men online making videos and podcasts about being an alpha male, and especially how being an alpha can get you all the women you ever dreamed of. So what does the alpha do? He sets the rules. Gentlemen, in this world, there are two types of men. There are alphas and there are betas. Alphas are strong, betas are weak. Men lead, women follow, knock her off that pedestal so she gets back down to your level and looks up to you. Guys like Hamza Ahmed, Alpha M, and the Fresh and Fit podcast have built empires off the back of the alpha male myth. It's all about taking control, putting women in their place, and doing what it takes to become a, quote, high-value man. Ruby could see how this kind of content was impacting her boyfriend. I think just very quickly, a lot of things lined up and he was suddenly showing me more videos and he would talk to me about podcasts he'd been listening to. And when he was sort of commenting on our relationship, he would reference that he'd heard a podcast where X or Y had been talked about and use that to bolster his argument academically somehow. Ruby's boyfriend was deep into these alpha podcasts. He started to become more aggressive too. She said he'd often ask her if she was scared of him. And then things got really weird. He'd woken up and announced that he'd listened to a podcast, again unnamed, about semen retention. And so he wanted to start practicing that it's about the practice of not ejaculating at all so he was going to stop any masturbation and he still wanted to engage sexually with me but he was not going to reach climax at all he was going to just sort of like edge and then pull back in order to retain the magical powers of his semen. This is a real thing, by the way. There are groups on Reddit based on this, with over 100,000 members. The idea is that testosterone is powerful, and if you don't ejaculate, you reap the rewards of becoming more alpha, such as becoming taller, more muscly, and curing depression. I'm not kidding. This alpha stuff goes deep. Some professional boxers have referenced this as something they do before matches for energy and aggression, but it's been debunked by medical professionals. Ruby responded to the semen retention idea, understandably, with confusion. She said she didn't think it was a good idea, and he flipped out. That argument resulted in him telling me that the abusive power of feminism was flowing through me. And that was the first time he had really clearly, explicitly said that he thinks feminism is just outright abuse. I didn't know how to, how to come back from that, really. Using animal studies, flawed or otherwise, as a model for human behaviour is one thing. 
But for that to grow into a misogynistic ideology is far from misinformed. And it's something that Dr. Franz Duval sees all the time. I think it's because in humans, we have now this whole business literature and manliness literature that is sort of exaggerating what alpha means and simplifying what alpha means and turning it into some sort of personality characteristic and personality cult also. There's even a word for when human beings try to justify our behaviour with examples from the animal kingdom. It's called naturalistic fallacy. What they do is they sort of abuse nature for their ideological purposes and they call the things that they want to do in life, they call them natural, and the things that they don't want to do in life, they call them unnatural. And that's how they sort of organize their moral world. Uh, I, I don't agree with that at all. I think in nature you can find all sorts of things. Andrew Tate says his girlfriends should stay at home and aren't allowed out because men protect the pride and women provide food and look after the babies. But this isn't how most groups of wild animals actually work. And even if it was, it means you could use animal behaviour as an excuse for anything. Why do I roll around in poo and make a giant ball of it that I push around the desert? Because that's what dung beetles do, right? Hey baby, it's natural. Fran says we pick and choose what we want from nature and leave the rest out. And he had plenty of really positive stories about gender dynamics in the monkey world that conveniently the alpha bros must have just skimmed over. Like gay and bisexual monkeys. Franz has written about one monkey he met in his book, Different, What Apes Can Teach Us About Gender. The bonobo was called Donna, a gender non-conforming icon who was totally accepted by the group. I would say in the bonobos, actually, all the individuals are bisexual because I don't think they care particularly whether they have sex with a male or a female. And so homosexual behavior is common. Uh, Individuals who don't fit the mold of male and female very clearly, like Donna, who was a a female, but acted very much like a male and looked like a male at some point. So we have that same gender diversity that we have in human society in the primates, but I've never noticed that they are intolerant of it. I've never noticed that that's a problem for them. Franz says that the bonobos he studied are actually a matriarchal society, as in the females run the show. He calls it the Me Too movement of bonobos, because while the females are physically smaller, they bound together and led an uprising, collectively taking control to curb the harassment and aggression they were experiencing from the males. And you know what? Just like in Barbie land, everyone is happy in the matriarchy. Franz said the male bonobos have loads of great consensual sex and are treated incredibly well. Hi, Barbie! Aside from these anecdotes about queer feminist monkeys, big sleigh, Franz said that a lot of the facts that alpha bros claim are totally misguided, like the idea that if you're an alpha, you'll get the most women. Franz said that actually female bonobos are having sex with the younger, smaller males. That's a win for the short kings. And as we already know, they're having sex with females too, because they're all bisexuals. This has been discovered over and over, is that female choice is extremely important and female choice is not necessarily aligned with the male hierarchy. So, back to Ruby. Her boyfriend was falling into this deep, protein-shaped rabbit hole, making her feel in danger. Ruby's day job is teaching, and she said she's noticed similar attitudes among her male students too. 
the kids really do consume Andrew Tate in terrifying quantities. And it's something we've had to receive training on at school as well, is how to handle these conversations when figures like him come up in, you know, PSHE lessons. It's difficult to navigate. You'll be happy to hear that Ruby did break up with her boyfriend. But now she's had to become hypervigilant with picking up on certain behaviours. Even something as simple as any sweeping generalisations about typically women want a man that can provide for them or has a certain amount of money or women all want someone that's over six foot. So what do we do now? Is it just up to women like Ruby to stand up to men like her ex? Absolutely not. Because we also have men like Lewis Wedlock to save the day. We're talking about a system and a structure. We talk about the masculinities that are built from that structure. We have to call it what it is, which, as you can probably imagine, ruffled a lot of people. When I asked him if he was a feminist, I have never in my life heard someone say 100% yes with so much enthusiasm. Lewis set up an organisation called Project Zazi, which works with young people of colour exploring culture, identity and inequality. Part of this is his masculinity workshops, which he delivers to young men of any ethnicity and religion. In just two years, Lewis has spoken to three and a half thousand young men. The masculinity groups were a six-week sessional space for young people to come in and learn about masculinities from a range of different vantage points. So we cover patriarchy, we cover misogyny, we cover relationships, and not just sort of romantic relationships, but platonic relationships too. He said the boys who were referred to his workshops were troublemakers, and teachers didn't really know what to do. Enter Lewis. So we would deliver six-week runs in sort of secondary schools from young people aged 11 up to 16. And you'd usually get the kids at the schools are kind of like, yeah, we don't know what to do with these guys. They're really disruptive. Lewis would start by asking these boys, what do you think it means to be a man? And they would be dumbfounded. They just had no idea. Some of them turned to misogynistic ideas they'd seen online. I asked Lewis about Andrew Tate and if he could give me a rough percentage of the number of young men he meets who support Tate. Lewis said, without hesitation... Between 70 and 80%. I had a photo of him up in a, an assembly I did at one school at one point while I was doing visiting talks about the other aspects of masculinity. When his, when his picture came up, the whole year group stood up and gave a standing ovation. But Lewis wasn't put off by that. He knows exactly what to do. He said in the entire time he's been holding these workshops, he's never once sent anyone out for something they've said or done. Instead, Lewis gently interrogates it. And sometimes, these boys slowly realise that what they're saying isn't actually their own beliefs. It's more of a copy-and-pasted opinion from some alpha podcast. The way that I've had to sort of approach it in the past, and, and even in the work that I do, is just sort of being like, it's an interesting perspective you've got there. I'm really interested to know where you've got that from. Could you trace that back to a point? Or where did you get that idea from? Where have you, where have you taken that from? And if, in certain instances, if that doesn't work, I'll ask them a week later, remember what you said last week? And they'll be saying, mm, not quite sure. Oh, that's interesting, because you were quite opinionated on this topic and you said X, Y, Z, but you can't remember it this week. So is that your belief system or is it something that you've learned? 
it's like, cool, then maybe we start actually building up your idea base instead of you just taking things that you see online and using them. Lewis told me that if he was a teenager in the present day, he could see himself being sucked into these sorts of ideas too. I told you, nothing about this alpha male stuff is new. The only thing that's new is now it's right at our fingertips. Endless images and videos of money, cars and muscles can make you think there's only one way to be a successful man. It was never really about the women. It was about what they represented, one of many possessions to bump up your status to other men. So I asked Lewis, what does masculinity mean to him? I use the the analogy of masculinity as a canvas and you've got all of these hues and these colors and these instruments to create a masterpiece. But you can draw over that at certain points. You can change the landscape. You can change the angle which you paint and create. And that canvas stays with you, but it's always able to change. Lewis says the problem is we see masculinity as if it's a rigid box that stays the same from birth until death. And that's what's killing men. Literally. So why not paint a masterpiece and then paint over it again and again? There's no reason why someone should have to decide what it means to be a man as a teenager, and then that's it for life. Gender is so much more fluid than that. And it struck me that I don't often hear men talking about masculinity in this vulnerable way, until I spoke to Richie Brave, the BBC radio host behind One Extra Talks. He holds these incredible discussions live on his show every Sunday. And one of those topics is masculinity. If you take anything away from today's show, I want you to be, you know, thinking about the fact that there's always somewhere to go. There's always someone to talk to and you don't need to subscribe to this toxic ideology of what masculinity is. We all exist on a spectrum. Of course... If you are struggling with anything, there is always someone to talk to. Richie has always been someone who says it like it is. He's always popping up on my Twitter and Instagram feed, calling out sexism. I can't tell you how many times, if I tweet something that reinforces the experience of women, I either get, you're gay, she's not going to fuck you, bro, or you're a simp. It's those three terms. Make up your mind about what exactly it is. What I've learned is that the key to feminism is intersectionality understanding the different experiences, backgrounds and levels of oppression for all women. And what I'm learning now is that we need to be doing this with masculinity too. I think society doesn't always give us the freedom to explore our masculinity as black men. When you see the rise of racism, black masculinity is something that has been targeted by people, right? And it's been seen as dangerous and we've been seen as a threat. And that's not to not identify the very real threat that men pose to women. But actually, when you look at black men, there is this extra layer that's placed upon it and a level of demonization that happens as a result of being black, not as a result of our masculinity. I asked Richie how he defines his own masculinity. For me, I have both masculine and feminine traits and they both complement each other. And I think all of us as humans have all of those traits. They are all of a mishmash and they make us who we are. So I think each person that I meet, each friendship that I form, each relationship that I have, each conversation that I have helps reshape what masculinity means to me. Before radio, Richie worked in rehabilitation with domestic violence perpetrators on a nine-month programme. He told me all about it. 
There's a number of different subject matters that you look at when a man's masculinity feels threatened, how that plays out inside relationships, what men's expectations are of women, how it leads to violence. And what I would say is there is no one size fits all with this stuff. There's no one reason why a man puts his hands on a woman. I think misogyny would maybe underpin all of that, feeling like you're able to do that and it's something that you can do. Richie said this work made him reflect on himself a lot and the things he'd got wrong about men and women in the past. Watching these guys break down in tears and seeing how fragile they were made him question what he thought he knew about perpetrators of violence. What's clear to me is that the patriarchy feels like a system that no one benefits from. So I asked Richie the big question. Why is the alpha male theory so popular? I think what ended up happening is men started to feel a little bit lost and these radicalizers saw a gap in that market and decided to use that rather than using it as an opportunity to educate men they used that as an opportunity to weaponize men and boys against women and girls I asked Franz Duval our friendly primatologist this same question and he said something similar this idea of feeling lost when some men see progressive change, they feel like they're not the centre of the world anymore. In human society, one of the issues that I see is that men, especially more than women, become insecure if they see this kind of diversity and, and because they don't know where they fit in then uh, or where they have to fit in. And so they, it makes them sort of uncertain. There's a term called aggrieved entitlement that I think sums up this concept so well. A sociologist called Michael Kimmel came up with it. The idea is that instead of seeing equality as a positive thing, some men, especially straight white men, according to his research, can see this as an attack on them personally. Kimmel's theory suggests that when marginalised people finally get the same opportunities... These men believe that these opportunities have been snatched from them. AKA, equality means men's presence is being removed. This just isn't true. There is so much room for everyone. And once you know about aggrieved entitlement, you spot it everywhere. Like, literally any time someone complains about something being woke, it's clearly just fear. Someone else's success is their erasure, apparently. But men like Lewis Wedlock are turning teenage boys into feminists all over the UK. And they don't even realise it's happening. At some point, someone would say, feminism is the problem. These feminists is what would usually happen. These feminists or these females would be the other one. Like these females. And then you get onto the, the concept of feminism. And I just kind of say to them, I'd be like, what do you think we've been doing for the past six weeks or five weeks or four weeks? And they're like, we've been talking about masculinity. Is that? You know that's a lot of feminist ideas that I'm bringing into this space. You're all feminists. So are you part of the problem? So it leaves an impression on them. We'll say that. Me and Ruby are still in touch. And occasionally I see pictures of her just out with her friends. Or with a big smile as she goes on some amazing hike somewhere. It makes me so happy. Ruby hopes by telling me her story, maybe other women can spot similar warning signs... And she doesn't regret any of it. Even if one person hears a comment and is able to go, oh, okay, I know about this and can act accordingly, then it's worthwhile. I think it's really easy to feel like when a relationship falls apart that you've wasted time and you've lost all this time. I've grown in this process and 
I never want to be sorry for loving someone as overly romantic and saccharine as that might be. You know, I feel like that's time well spent. Thanks for listening to No Worries If Not. Special thanks to Fran Saval, Lewis Wedlock, Richie Brave, and of course, Ruby. This is a Curly Media production. 